Hi there. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Discovery Bible Podcast. We're back in Matthew today. Uh, We're going to be working through Matthew 14 through 20. Kind of a long passage here today, but we're looking forward to getting into it and uh, digging into some of the unique aspects of it. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Can't wait to get into this. Let's do it. Hey, Michael. Hey, buddy. How are you doing? I'm good. All right. You ready to jump into another exciting episode today? Yeah, man. <laughs> Absolutely. have some, some pretty cool stuff to go over. A lot of what we're going to talk about today, we've actually somewhat covered in the book of Mark, and a lot of what we're covering today is almost a copy-paste directly out of Mark to Matthew, which I think maybe in order to understand what's going on here in the book of Matthew, we maybe need to kind of backtrack a little bit. Sure. And um, just as a quick reminder, the book of Mark was the first gospel written in the early church, the first one accepted as as being a gospel and probably the oldest, earliest writing. And as we look through the book of Matthew, which was probably written maybe a decade later, you can see some pretty clear indication that Matthew was probably referencing Mark's writing because it's almost a word-for-word copy-paste from Mark. Yeah. Especially throughout this section. Yeah, we see a lot of similarities in the stories and just what occurred in Jesus' life during this portion of Scripture. And it's good that we can go and look at it again. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's also good that we have a few parts here that Matthew has almost interjected. And we can look at those and get a better appreciation for those with the contrast of the Gospel of Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we're starting in 14, correct? Yeah. And before we jump into 14, let's kind of give a quick recap of what we have said so far about mm. the book of Matthew. So mm-hmm. first of all, he was a follower of Jesus, which is different than Mark as far as, you know, Matthew was a disciple. Yeah. <laughs> and we, I we shouldn't s- say follower, but he was a disciple of Jesus, one of the 12. He was a tax collector. Matthew is a tax collector. And we actually got to read over the, the conversion of Matthew mm-hmm. in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah. So that's cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah, first-hand account of uh-huh. how he came to follow Jesus. And uh, then we've also looked at some of the things about the book of Matthew that we have um, pointed out as far as things that we're looking for as we read the book, um, how Matthew is portraying Jesus as the true son of David. Yeah. He's a true descendant of David and the rightful heir to the throne, the true Messiah. Yeah. Um, he's also the new Moses. New which, Moses. This which, is really cool, I thought. Yeah, new Moses, and uh, in his way of uh, Moses in Deuteronomy first interpreted the the, the law. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of re-explained the on, law. We, we saw the, the Sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. um, that I think is unique to Matthew here, and... Uh, we saw Jesus reinterpreting the law, like you said, and it said, you know, don't just don't not murder. <laughs> yeah. Also, don't There's... say something bad about your brother. Yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of giving the full revelation of the, the law. I would say the full wisdom. Let not let's yeah. not just be really like liberal and look at uh, the, you know, letter of it. Mm-hmm. What's the wisdom behind the law? Mm-hmm. And this is what Jesus is saying. Yeah, and that's where you get into the whole beatitudes, which we call kingdom, kingdom attitudes, attitudes yeah. and. And where Jesus goes through this list of the laws that Mm -hmm. Moses wrote down, 
But instead of just saying, yeah, this is what Moses said, so follow it, he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. Mm-hmm. And he gives the, like you said, the wisdom of it, mm-hmm. the, the, the full meaning, the heart behind the law. So we see that Jesus is portrayed in the book of Matthew as the greater than Moses, one who gives a greater law, a law on the heart, not uh-huh. just written in stone, but the law of the heart, mm-hmm. and how he gives us not just a list of rules, but a way of life, a living that really kind of flips the whole mentality of what it means to be a good religious person yeah, on its head. The idea of this upside down kingdom mm-hmm. that we see as an overarching theme throughout the the story of Matthew of these parables and then also these uh, just, you know, uh, in in the Sermon on the Mount, these. I guess, laws or ways of living mm-hmm. that are completely opposite, you know, you know, gaining wealth by giving it all away, yep. loving by being, you know, not vengeful, but sacrificial, mm-hmm. um, or, yeah, just the, the, the principle of not, not seeking revenge, but turning the other cheek. These These totally, like I said, upside down ways of thinking and living mm-hmm. that are contrary to what everybody thinks. And then I think it maybe not a subset, but a, a different um, lane of looking at that is the way of not, oh, you're just practicing what God would have us do. And mm-hmm. the Pharisees take a big beef with this because we go from a very liberal way of thinking. And you see this time and time again with the Pharisees of why do you let your disciples do X, Y, and Z? And we'll see this in this passage, too, when they come up to him and they say, hey, why why are you letting your disciples eat with unclean hands? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, we'll see a, a story where they ask him if he pays the temple tax. And we'll see these these stories of what would be considered a very uh, religious and a very right way to do things. Mm-hmm. Jesus saying, hey, you're missing it. Yep. You're you're taking the the wisdom and you're ignoring it and just uh i don't know exactly how he puts it but you're pleasing me with your actions but not your heart yeah you, yeah yeah your your heart is far from me yeah because the phrase yeah and so then as we move along past matthew like you mentioned we go to the pharisees their reaction yeah and we see jesus immediately after the sermon on the mount how he introduces the kingdom to the people. Mm-hmm. He, he begins to actually show the people what this kingdom looks like, the healings, mm, the cleansing, yeah, yeah. the forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, wait, wait, you can do that? Mm-hmm. No, only God can do that. Yeah, this well, is what, so he's he's shown them what the kingdom is supposed to be. It's supposed to look like. It's upside down, and then this is how it is lived out. This is how it's lived out. Mm-hmm. And then we went on, and he commissions the 12. Mm-hmm. Kind of got the f- complete list of the 12, and he sends them out. to. Now they are going and fulfilling the work of Jesus. So they spread out and start casting out demons. They start preaching the good news of the gospel. And so once that occurs, then we see the reaction that people have. Mm -hmm. So the kingdom has gone out. Jesus has displayed the kingdom. This is how it's lived out. And then we see how people do with this. Yeah. Well, well, you either accept, you reject, you're kind of like, well, that's weird. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you've got kind of these different groups of people where the Pharisees are the ones that are pretty much always, oh, no, we don't agree with that. That's wrong. Yeah. Opposing the kingdom. And then you see, for the most part, it's the crowds it's the the people who would be 
in the Jewish community far from God mm-hmm. are typically the ones who accept this kingdom and Jesus is at work within them. Mm-hmm. And the kingdom is growing amongst the the crowds that from any, I mean, like Matthew's a perfect example of this. When, at what other point in history would a tax collector who works for Rome mm-hmm. be considered to be a part of the movement of God within the nation of Israel? That's crazy. Yeah, no. It, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. The, but that's who Jesus called. Yeah, well, and I think that as we've gone through this, I've been fr- you're always frustrated with the Pharisees, right? I mean, every time I read any of the Gospels, the Pharisees are just the proverbial bad guy. <laughs> you know, you're just like, yeah. oh, here comes the Pharisees, and yep. a bunch of jerks. And <laughs> you gain this, like, at least for me, the more you understand Old Testament law mm-hmm. and their mindset and what they were looking forward to, and then you see Jesus and how hard it is to swallow that all of the things that their life and the Old Testament law were built on are made to be interpreted through this this very specific view mm-hmm. of how Jesus, uh, you see as he goes through his ministry, interprets these these prophets, these Isaiah. And, Man, can, and, can you imagine how cool it would have been to sit down with a group of these Pharisees and say, like, five years before Jesus starts his ministry, mm-hmm. and like, okay, you're looking forward to this Messiah— Tell me what he's going to look like. Yeah. You, Wouldn't that have been cool? It would have been interesting because you you would have gotten, I think, a very uh, militaristic. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that a word? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I think it is. A very uh, a military type leader mm-hmm. who's going to come through and just wipe Rome out, right? Pretty much. And yeah. then establish a new kingdom here on earth with his chosen people, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Jewish people. Yeah. He's going to establish that. So he would have been a political leader. He, he would have been. He would yeah. have been a religious leader. Mm-hmm. He would have been one who was zealous for the law. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, Paul talks about how he was, Paul himself was zealous for the law. Yeah. I think that the Pharisees would have basically assumed that the Messiah probably came from within the Pharisees, even potentially. I mean, because that's where the zeal for the law was was i wonder if they were thinking somebody like david you know mm-hmm, a, a, right. a king king you mm-hmm. know like mm-hmm. and david is a foreshadowing of christ mm-hmm. but not for the reasons but but of, not for the reasons of conquest and conquering exactly. and yeah yeah and all but what i'm where i'm going with this is that I, you do gain this uh, almost sympathy for these guys mm. who are trying to fulfill the law as they understand it mm-hmm and they have somebody that's coming in and really it's easy for us cuz we can read all this and be like yeah the all of these prophecies make perfect sense mm-hmm. like you look at the way that Isaiah talked about things and you look at the way that you know Malachi talked about things and it, it makes a ton of sense of who Jesus is mm-hmm. and you look at the psalms and they're all fulfilling and he's fulfilling it perfectly but he's not fulfilling it in the mindset that they had and so we come at it from a thousand foot view and can see exactly who Jesus is. And I just feel sad for them mm-hmm. because they're so entrenched in their way of thinking that all of these new things that Jesus is doing, each one is just spitting in their face. Mm-hmm. And you are mad at them and you're frustrated that they're going against who Jesus is. But you also, I think I've gained just from knowing what the Old Testament is all about and how they could have read those passages I've gained just a, a better appreciation for why they're so frustrated. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. 
he's literally who is he to turn all of these on their head yeah you know all of these ideas and all of these laws that we followed for thousands of years you know Mm -hmm. who are you and i think that's what we where we kind of ended last week Mm -hmm. when we read matthew chapter 13 verses 52 therefore and this is jesus speaking he said to them Every student of scripture instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who brings out of his storehouse what is new and what is old. Mm. So Jesus is revealing the new, yeah. but he's not tossing out the old. Yeah. He's not getting rid of the old. You got to bring them both and bring them both forth in order to see what God is actually doing here. And so what we have is we have people cling to the old with no embrace for the new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We we keep the old, and we, we understand the old as it was understood by our ancestors, and there's no need to understand it this new way. Mm-hmm. And you're spitting on that. So. Mm-hmm. so there's kind of a quick summarization of where we're at so far. We have Matthew, who's introducing the Messiah, the line of David. We're also seeing that he is a better-than-Moses figure. He is also Emmanuel. We talked about that right off the yeah. bat at the beginning. God with us, he yeah. is God with us. He is prophesied. Mm-hmm. And he is the leader, the Messiah that was promised from way back, long, long ago. And then we see his work begin, Jesus' work begin from the beginning of where he was uh, young to the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount how people respond to him once he begins doing his miracles mm. and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And so we have the positive, the neutral, and then those who reject Jesus. And that kind of brings us to this next phase of Matthew, this next section, starting at the very end of Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus is rejected at Nazareth. Yeah, And then this next these next few chapters, like I said, are almost a copy and paste out of the book of Mark. And there are a few differences, but as far as the order of events, it is almost exactly the same order. So Matthew chapter 13 through almost through chapter 20, definitely like 1354 through Matthew 18 verse 9 mm-hmm. is literally a almost sentence by sentence uh paragraph by paragraph you could just overlay it and see the two working side by side so there's very good evidence that matthew is referencing mark when he's writing this portion of the book which would make sense it would make absolute sense yeah yeah there's so this portion can be uh, understood just the way that it is, the way that Mark wrote it, mm-hmm. and the m- way that we're, you know, or Matthew took and mm-hmm. know, pasted it over here, yeah. for lack of a better term. He probably didn't paste it. They didn't have copy and paste. They didn't have copy paste. They did not. They didn't have Excel spreadsheets, mm. and they didn't have Word docs and all. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, hey, scribe, yeah, copy these Copy next. this over. You know that scroll of Mark, just take that and make that happen, please. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, one of the things is, as people who study the scriptures and the h- how the New Testament came into form, mm-hmm. a lot of people believe that there may have been an even older writing than the book of Mark, mm. which it's called Q. Yeah. And they say maybe Mark and Matthew and Luke borrowed from this, this early common early text. Early yeah. text, mm-hmm. which referred to as Q. Um 
we're not going to jump into that too much, but that is a thought. But one of the things that I would just say along with that is whether it's a written text or an oral text or a shared uh, group of stories, mm-hmm. that whether it was Peter or just all of the disciples told and retold and retold, there's evidence that these are linked, whether it yeah. was by an actual written text or oral traditions mm-hmm. that are being told, because this is not very far from the time that Jesus walked on earth, lived, buried, and resurrected. And so whether it's a few scrolls that are circulating or it's oral traditions that are circulating, uh, we can see how these are at least share Mm -hmm. that backdrop. Yeah. Um, Not just the fact that we have, you know, two books that, complement each other but yeah. they complement each other like so well yeah especially in this next phase mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to say it's hard to say there's any sort of separation that they developed completely autonomously yeah like mark did no, all I of his research completely on his own and matthew did all of his work completely on his own mm-hmm. but look this whole section of scripture is like a line by line yeah working through it it, it lines this up is so what well. happened you this, know yeah well well for instance like the feeding of the 5,000 yeah. is followed by the walking on the water, mm-hmm. which is followed by miraculous healings, mm-hmm. which then Jesus goes in and talks about how people um, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Yeah. And it, the defilement from within, and what, it's not about what somebody puts in their body, but, but what, what comes out what comes out of the man's mouth. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just like almost line by line by line for quite a while. So yeah. we can see these have common, common. backdrop yeah. roots. Mm-hmm. So. And I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting topic just in of itself, mm-hmm. and how the ga- gospels all come together. Yeah, and that you do have a common, you have common stories and common themes, obviously throughout all the gospels, but you also have individual um, stamps of the authors, mm-hmm. and you get to see. I think that the comparison of those mm-hmm. is what makes the gospels so amazing. Mm-hmm. So we're going to jump back in to Matthew chapter 17 and talk about something that you brought up, Michael, the, uh, the temple tax. Yeah, I was looking. So we read this, you know, 14 through 20 here. And like we already talked about, there was a lot that we've already we've already discussed in the Gospel of uh, Mark. Um, this is just one story that I thought was interesting, um, just because I haven't read it the way that I have uh, this time before. Um, Jesus uh, is asked by the collectors of the temple tax. Um, well, actually, one of his disciples is asked, says, does your te- teacher pay this tax? And uh, uh, Peter uh, says, yes, he does. And then he goes and asks Jesus, he says, uh, you know, he, uh, Jesus says to Peter, what do you think, Simon, from whom... Do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes from their own sons or from others? And then Peter says, uh, from others. And Jesus says, then the sons are exempt. And then he goes and he does this cool thing. Because Jesus could just give him a coin, right? And say, hey, go pay the temple tax. Mm -hmm. But instead he says, uh, so that you don't offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. 
give it to them for my tax and yours. So I don't know why. I, this is one of the times that Jesus does something like this, mm-hmm. that there doesn't seem to be any practical like point to it. <laughs> okay. This just seems like he's flexing. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, he's just flexing, man. He's saying, hey. Go catch a fish. Go catch a fish, and I'm gonna, there's going to be a coin in there. Could be money in the mouth of the fish. Why, you ask? Because I can. <laughs> it, literally, this is why <laughs> I just now realized that. Like, a lot of times, all the miracles Jesus does, you can you can look at it and be like, wow, it's amazing, and there's a point to it. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> why does Jesus do it this way? I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> and that's not why I wanted to read this, but I, I just kind of got to the point i'm like man there really is not like what, what's the fish mean and why do they do that no he just did it because he could <laughs> either that or he wanted to get rid of simon for a while he's like go get a fish hey fisherman go fish stop asking me <laughs> questions i'm done with this um but no i really enjoy other than that aspect i enjoy this story because it's a temple tax and i love that jesus is always able to get to the root of an issue or a question and address that sometimes even without addressing the question. And so these guys come and they ask, you know, why is, does Jesus pay this tax? Mm -hmm. And instead of Jesus saying yes or no, I don't pay this tax. Jesus says, Hey, Simon, the Kings of the earth, who do they, who do they get their, their money from their sons or do they get it from other people? Mm -hmm. And he says from others. And then he says, the sons are exempt. So in doing so, Jesus is saying, we are exempt from God's That is what Jesus is saying in in not so many words. Mm -hmm. He's saying, so the sons are exempt. So we, as the sons of God, are exempt from the temple tax. Mm -hmm. But so that we don't offend these people, Mm -hmm. let's pay it anyway. Mm -hmm. And so you brought up another point there. I think it's amazing that Jesus just sidesteps the question and gives this amazing illustration of how we are children of God and how the temple tax doesn't matter. Like the upkeep of the temple turns from the upkeep of a building to us being the temple. Yeah. So Christians are considered the temple of God. The the ones who are following Jesus, those who are participating in the kingdom, that is the temple. Yeah. That is the new temple. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus really shows and demonstrates right here that the physical building is not relevant like it used to be because the 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 children of God are becoming that temple. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. we are all being built up to be that temple. But Jesus says, in order not to offend or to cause barriers so that you can continue ministering, mm-hmm. Pay the tax. Yeah. Like, don't let that little thing hinder you from doing the work of God. Yeah. And so that's the part that stands out to me because obviously Jesus sees it as, yeah, we don't we don't need to pay this tax mm-hmm. because we are sons of God and we are exempt from owing the, the king the dues, mm-hmm. in a sense. But Jesus, go ahead and pay. Go ahead and pay. Which brings us back to... So why a fish with a coin in there? Yeah, no, I, I literally think that's just... I don't know if I'm going to be able to come up with a great explanation for that one. Well, it, and I don't know either, but... You could look into I, the like imagery of a fish and <laughs> well, what that has to I'm do with still, it. I'm still laughing on that one, honestly. Jesus just flexing over here like, hey, you're a fisherman. You Go, could probably catch a whole 
basket load of fish, but no, you just need one, and it'll have a coin in its mouth. So what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That was just Jesus Jesus having a little fun. You know, he kind of smirked to himself after Simon left. He was like, yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> he got him good on that one. <laughs> He's totally going to go do it. <laughs> the other disciples are like, seriously? He went and actually did it? He's like, yeah, I got him. Simon's gone. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Um, uh, no, I don't know. I have to, in my imagination, Jesus had a great sense of humor. And we've talked about this before. You have a group of pretty rough guys. You have fishermen and tax collectors and, and Jesus. They're just wandering around together, right? I yeah. mean, you know that there was some humor that took place. Mm-hmm. And I, I just have to I have to believe that. <laughs> that n- Nothing crude or anything like that. But yeah. I have to agree. Like, just a group of guys wandering around together. You have to believe that they just, like, were probably cutting up and, like, yeah. giving each other a hard time all the time. Probably. probably. Along <laughs> with learning a lot of really amazing things about the kingdom. And to kind of tie that back in, this is another just representation of Jesus's continued theme of an upside down kingdom. Mm-hmm. Of it's no longer the temple. Mm-hmm. Jesus wasn't worried about the temple. In fact, Jesus said, "You know, I am the temple, and I'm going to destroy and rebuild in three days." So yeah, and and I think the main point here, though, that Jesus is making is the the spread and growing of the actual kingdom of God uh-huh. that that is the point that he is making here we don't want to uh, build barriers and walls and uh-huh. offend people so that the kingdom of God cannot continue to grow mm-hmm. including the people upon whom they would potentially offend correct if they didn't pay the tax uh-huh. so th- I think this applies to even us today and you know we talked about this before how you look at some of Paul's writings and whether it's meat offered to idols and how Paul says, listen, if that's going to cause an offense, don't do it. And I think that there's some wisdom that we can take from this. There are probably certain things that Christians should do in order to be a testimony for the kingdom. And there are certain things that Christians shouldn't do in order to be a testimony for the kingdom. And sometimes you just need to use God's wisdom and prayerful consideration on how a Christian should live. Some things are very cut and dry. Like some things are not debatable when it comes to to sin, right? But Mm -hmm. some things, especially within culture, some cultures find some things really offensive and other cultures find things, it's kind of a nil issue. Mm-hmm. And that's where it takes wisdom and saying, is the, does the Bible speak super clearly on this is- issue? Well, how is it perceived around people around you? Are you building barriers or are you breaking barriers down so that the kingdom of God can be clearly presented and not allowing things to get in the way of the kingdom? Don't allow the little issues to get in the way of the kingdom. And I think that's one of the biggest things that Paul is talking about in in those passages, and I think that's what Jesus is saying here as well. Little things can become big issues if you let them. Mm -hmm. So get rid of the little issues. Just don't don't make a minor thing a major point. That's not why we're here. Jesus isn't here in order to say, hey, y'all don't need to pay the temple tax anymore and, and all this sort of stuff. It, it's not about that. It's, it's about the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so don't make the minors the majors. Don't yeah, make the exactly. little things yeah. the big things. Don't let those eclipse what we're trying to do mm-hmm. here. Because yeah. these, these minor issues can so easily 
derail us yeah from the bigger purpose that we're going after mm-hmm. yeah um so let's jump down into to chapter 18 because this is the part where we said okay for the last several chapters it's pretty much been a just about a copy paste from the book of mark into matthew mm-hmm. um but then in chapter 18 verse 10 we see a parable of the lost sheep. And we see what it means to restore a brother. And we see the parable of the unforgiving slave. I like that one. Do you like that one? I, well, I do, because it's really powerful. To, it's one of, I think, uh, one of the most vivid illustrations of why we should forgive. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting when it comes directly after restoring a brother because the conclusion of the restoring a brother is um, basically if somebody is not paying attention within the body of Christ and he doesn't try to repent, try to restore, Jesus' conclusion is basically, so let him be like an unbeliever. You basically say, you know, we're, we're kind of, separating here a little bit we're, we're kind yeah. of removing which but, is it, it seems harsh doesn't it yeah it, but then peter comes back and says so should i just forgive him seven times yeah and that's the whole 70 times seven like jesus is like no you just forgive and forgive and forgive it's like oh huh because just a moment ago it sounded like there's a certain point upon which forgiveness is voided yeah and and just like no that that's it's not, the not point. about forgiveness it's about you know, if you've, I, I think I have, I sometimes do have trouble interpreting, you know, when a brother sins against you and how to do that. It's not about, you know, the forgiveness uh, aspect because you're supposed to forgive. It's about how to deal with that issue in general. Yeah. So let's. You don't just stop forgiving. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's kind of weed through these three sayings of Jesus that were not mentioned in the book of Mark and and talk about those for just a second. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and read the next little section of Matthew chapter 18, mm-hmm. starting in verse 10, just so that we can kind of get the quick overview, because these are great parables that, oh, yeah. that are not included in Mark. So uh, verse 10 says, See that you don't look down on one of those little ones, because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save the lost. What do you think? If a man has 100 sheep and one of them has gone astray, won't he leave the 99 hill on the hillside and go and search for the stray? And if he finds it, I assure you, he rejoices over the sheep more than over the 99 that did not go astray. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two more with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he pays no attention to them, tell the church. But if he does not pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. I assure you, 
Whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him, but seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed ten thousand talents was brought before him. And since he had no way to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this the slave fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of the slave had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him one hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe me. At this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the owner of the slave saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went to the, and, and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I have had mercy on you? And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. It's the end of 18. Interesting. Yeah. I like it. So, so let's look. Yeah, go ahead. Each of these just a little bit. So, uh-huh. um, first of all, we, we just before this, Jesus is talking about the little children, uh-huh. and when he talks about the parable of the lost sheep, he's talking still about the little ones. Yeah, yeah. Because at the end, he says, uh, "What does he says? In any the of the? In, yeah, yeah. Exactly. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Mm-hmm. So Jesus deeply cares for children for for young people yeah to be part of this kingdom so that's interesting as well because we typically think of a kingdom as ruled by strength and jesus is calling the young and the weak and the yeah. children of the earth to be part of this kingdom yeah and telling everybody else to be the same way even mm-hmm. the strong people this is what you need to be like you need mm-hmm. to be like one of these children mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then let's go ahead and jump over to the restoring a brother and the unforgiving slave real quick. First okay. of all, one of the things I wanted to just point out was he says, pay no attention. And uh, if he pays no attention to tell them, then go take it to the church. So he's talking about the church, a time where Jesus established his church. Yeah. Um, at this point, it's like, okay, shouldn't that just be like the community, the synagogue or... Mm-hmm the disciples, the other followers, but he uses that word church here twice. And so the only other time that he uses that in this book that I'm aware of, and I'll have to 
double check this, but when he t- tells Peter, Simon, your name is Peter, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. Yeah, which is just mentioned not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Right. A couple chapters ago. So we're seeing where Jesus is taking this kingdom mm-hmm. to the congregation of believers. Yeah, yeah, and that follows with the other things that we've seen here in mm-hmm. this passage, that this is the... This is the way that we're moving. We're moving mm-hmm. away from a uh, liberal way of doing things to a, uh, a a group of people that are following Christ, and that group of people is making up the church. And it isn't based on Not having— Based a, upon a temple. Or a high priest. Or a sacrificial system yeah. mm-hmm. or any of those things. It's about believers. Correct. About followers of Jesus. And so then we get into the what does it mean to restore and— I don't want to get hung up too much on this, but we've talked about this before, how the Bible is, it's meditation literature. We're supposed to consider this and think about this and read it over and pray about it. And so how many of us haven't had conflict with other Christians? Probably, if you're a Christian, you probably had conflict to some degree with another Christian. Oh, absolutely. And so I think there's great wisdom that we need to take from this passage and understanding the appropriate steps of how Jesus said to handle conflict within the church. And then immediately after that, he says, by the way, you just keep on forgiving your brother. Yeah. I, I think, like I said earlier, I think that those are not contrary ideas that Mm -hmm. you can continue to show forgiveness, but also uh, address an issue. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you don't just allow somebody to continue to do something that is incorrect. Mm-hmm. You have to address it, and you have to say, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. And if if they continue to do it, then, like Jesus says, get somebody else and then bring it bring it to the church. And if they just continue to say, no, you know what, I'm going to still do that, and you've you've gone through the no- motions, then you say, hey, you know what, we've done what we can do, mm-hmm. and we love you and we want you to come back, but we can't continue to you know let this mm-hmm. occur. But what Jesus is not saying is if they continue to do this, that you just say, you know what, I'm I, I'm going to hold resentment in my heart towards you, mm-hmm. I'm going to be mad at you, and I'm going to be angry at you, and I'm not going to forgive you. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus is saying. Mm-hmm. And so I think the disciples listen to him say, you know, hey, if a brother sins against you, then, hey, if I tried a couple times, then I just get to shun that person, and I get to feel however I want to towards mm-hmm. them. Jesus says, no, mm-hmm. you continue to forgive. And then he moves on from there, and says, this is why you continue to forgive. Mm-hmm. Because of the amount that's been forgiven. Exactly. Of you uh-huh. by your father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that parable, I think, whenever we are in the position of whether we feel offended, feel like somebody sinned against us, talking behind our backs, used us, mistreated us, we have to remember all those things we are guilty of, and God has forgiven us, a million times more yeah. than anybody has ever done to us. And so there's a real big reality check right here. While Jesus recognizes, yeah, there will be conflict. We don't always act like Jesus. We don't always ask the question, how would Jesus respond and act accordingly? That doesn't always happen. But regardless of the moment, we ha- we must recognize the immensity of, of the forgiveness that God has granted unto us mm-hmm. for the for the sins that we have committed against him. And whenever we see the reality of the weight of our sin, 
how in the world can we hold a grudge against a brother compared to the weight of sin that God has forgiven us for? Yeah. It, it it's incomprehensible the uh, the difference. So, yeah, it, it's it's like the the ten thousand talents to yeah. hundred denarii. It, it's, yeah, it's just like, are you kidding? Which no, yeah, no. which if you were wondering, that's like millions of dollars mm-hmm. compared to a few dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be like yeah, if I had a debt with five million dollars and then mm-hmm. I went out from there, you forgave me and I went out from there and some guy owed me five bucks. And yeah. I was like, hey, pay up now, now, <laughs> or I will. Yeah, it's like call the cops. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's not even. It's comparable. a no brainer. It not is a no brainer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So at the end of this passage, we we go to uh, chapter twenty. And we're going to keep on moving through here. And this is just before the triumphal entry. And this is the third time that Jesus predicts his upcoming death. Yeah. And, of course, the the disciples don't like to hear it every time they bring that Jesus brings this up. Yeah. I At first I thought they just didn't understand it. And now I kind of get the vibe that it's just an uncomfortable subject. Who mm-hmm. wants to hear that your friend and your teacher is going to die? Mm-hmm. Like, stop bringing it up. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the idea that I got here. Yeah, and also when you think about what they believed, they believed him to be the Messiah. Yeah. I mean, they, they profess that, right? Peter, professed, you are God's Messiah. And the Pharisees had a clear understanding of who the Messiah should be be what they should look like yeah there's jesus is trying to flip that paradigm on its head and say no it's not like what you think it is but at the same time the disciples still had some of that understanding of even what the pharisees believed it to look like as well well the prevalent yeah the prevalent idea of that day is you know this guy who's going to come in and he's going to be we already talked about this mm -hmm. that they wanted him to be a military leader and a political Mm -hmm. leader Mm -hmm. And I, I talked about this and the sympathy I have for the Pharisees um, at the beginning of this discussion. And this is just not who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And so last week, um, whenever I was talking about what we we're going to go over this mm-hmm. this week, we talked about the suffering servant. Mm-hmm. And this is the direct. I, that's not true. I was going to say the direct opposite. In a way it is. But in a way, it's a different way of looking who the Messiah is. Yeah, and before we jump into what the suffering servant looks like, let's look at maybe what they were expecting. Yeah, because that's the contrast here. Yeah, so they were expecting a Messiah that would come in, be a military ruler to crush the kingdoms of the earth, and that's found in Daniel because of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and Mm -hmm. Daniel interprets. And I'm just going to read Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. It says, In... The days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and his kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. And then he kind of wraps up the the vision. He says, you saw a stone break off from the mountain without a hand touching it. And it crushed the iron, bronze, and the fired clay, silver, and gold. The great God has told the king what will happen. It's future. In, in the future, the dream is true, and its interpretation is certain. 
So in the minds of the Pharisees and, and most certainly just the general population of the Jewish people, they're mm. looking forward to this this king that will crush kingdoms, the kingdom crusher. Yeah, it's a rock that's broken off, and it's crushing iron and bronze and mm-hmm. anything in its way. Yeah, it's the kingdom-crushing Messiah is yeah. what they're looking for. Yeah. And so when you put that with Isaiah 53, you're like, well, which one is it? Mm-hmm. You're either going to throw down and completely eradicate kingdoms of the earth or this suffering servant, and that doesn't seem to fit. And so they look at, well, he well, he has to throw down. Like, he has to crush the kingdoms. That's the promise. That's the one that we can wrap our mind around because that's the way kings work. Mm-hmm. That's the way people who ride in, who set up a new kingdom, that's how it's done. Yeah. And Ye- so that tracks with their thinking. Yeah. And Jesus has come in flipped it over, said, well, instead of crushing the, just like flat out crushing kingdoms, Jesus is the one who is going to be crushed for the kingdoms. Yeah. And, and in the same way, crush, <laughs> and that's how he crushes the other kingdoms. Yeah. He yeah. crushes by being crushed, mm-hmm. which again is just an amazing upside down, like weird way mm-hmm. that the opposite fulfills what God needs it to. Mm-hmm. Um, you want me to read a little bit of Isaiah fifty three just to get the the uh, not the opposite but the the other um, the suffering servant mentality that Jesus had. Yeah, and this is what Jesus understood himself to be, and it's it's not an either or; it's a both and. But you can't have the kingdom crusher without the Isaiah fifty three. Yeah, suffering servant. Mm, so exactly. So yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, and it actually. Uh, we'll we'll go back to Isaiah fifty two thirteen, and it says, "See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he, uh, so will he sprinkle many nations and kings, will shut their mouths because of him." For what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message? This is Isaiah 53. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And that's the that's Isaiah 53, 7, where I ended there. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good chunk of that passage. It goes on to, to further describe Jesus. But going where we're going mm-hmm. in the next section we're going to read through in Matthew, I think this is a good place to... Mm-hmm. To end this discussion, mm-hmm. because this is who Jesus is, yeah. and this is what he's going to do. 
and we're moving in to the triumphal entry mm-hmm. into Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And this is what's going to take place. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, whenever we went through this in Mark, um, just a, a attitude of uh, sincerity and thankfulness as we get into this passage. Um, and I think this goes along with it. When you have a better and more full understanding of who Jesus is and what the suffering servant is meant to do and reading that passage in Isaiah, understanding what they were looking forward to and what all it meant to fulfill the role that Jesus had to fulfill, I think your appreciation and love for who Christ is and what he did, just uh, it, it just magnifies it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the imagery that is portrayed in Isaiah, this is written in poetic form. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just telling a story, which the Gospels are telling us of the events of what happened to Jesus mm-hmm. at his crucifixion, at the triumphal entry, and, and all these things. But Isaiah is telling us in in a poetic form mm-hmm. of what is about to take place in in the striking of the lamb and how he is how we are healed by wounds yeah um and it's incredible language that that's that's being fulfilled and you know that jesus was thinking these things yeah walking in to jerusalem and going throughout the week of passion and so i think you're exactly right as we approach this coronation of Jesus, approach this triumphal entry and everything that's about to unfold, keep this in mind, that Jesus is the suffering servant. Mm -hmm. He is coming in order to suffer for all. And he is going to crush the kingdoms of evil and the spiritual reality of evil. That's what he's coming to crush, where everybody else was looking at just the geopolitical yeah and jesus is at work in something much greater than just a a political kingdom and what i would say is this is the fun you said coronation of jesus this is the final coronation of the upside down kingdom right Mm -hmm. so we've moved from jesus coming and matthew telling us about who jesus is and then him talking about the upside, uh, the, really what the kingdom looks like, mm-hmm. and then how the not kingdom, what they expected, not to what they like. expected it to look like, but what it does look like. Mm-hmm. And then we move and we see how that works in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And then we need one final piece for the kingdom to be complete, for the new kingdom, for the upside down kingdom, to be uh, fully in place mm-hmm. on earth, mm-hmm. and that's Jesus dying mm-hmm. to take the place of the sacrifices that were given in the temple and for him to become the temple for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in all the imagery that is used during the crucifixion, when you look at it that way, how Jesus is crowned king with thorns. Mm. He's wrapped in a royal robe of purple in humiliation, in humility. It's it's not like a royal robe. And no. he, he's given like a, a, a fake scepter where yeah, they beat yeah. him. Yeah. They, they pull on his beard. They spit on his face. Mm-hmm. And, and all the things that of what a, what you would expect a king to be versus what the king truly was. Mm-hmm. 
you see all the images there of, wow, this isn't a a golden crown. No. It's a crown of thorns. Mm-hmm. This isn't a royal robe of nobility. It's of humility. Mm-hmm. And, and just that whole image of Isaiah 53 shining through yeah. throughout the crucifixion of Jesus. I think it's important to keep it in the center of our mind. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Discovery Bible Podcast. We are looking forward to getting back into Matthew next week. We're going to jump into uh, the last movement here in Matthew, or one of the last movements here. Um, It's going to be 21 through 25, and we're going to be looking at the final uh, conflict here between Jesus and his upside-down kingdom and the kingdom that the Pharisees were looking forward. Um, Jesus is going to confront them, and we're going to see Jesus uh, going to the cross and everything that that goes with. Uh, We're looking forward to that. We hope you come back and listen to us again. Uh, Hope you have a good week.